So we're continuing through uh, the book of James, talking about the theme of faith that works. Not faith in our works and not faith without works, but faith that works. Faith that, that demonstrates itself in a lifestyle of walking with God. And so we're in the section that I'm calling faith that takes God at His word. That God calls us to exercise the kind of faith that takes God at His word, that believes what God says. And, and, and the truth is, we are people here, if we are believers in Jesus, we are people who say, we believe this book is God's book. We believe with, with all of church history, with all believers, uh, that we are people of the book. We're people that believe that God has revealed Himself. He's spoken through the prophets. He's spoken through the apostles. So we believe that. So we want to take him at that word. We want to actually say, okay, God, this is what your word is. We want to believe what you have said. But the question is, what does that look like? What does that look like in day-to-day life? What does it look like to take God at his word? What does it look like to be, as uh, the people of Islam call us, people of the book? What does that look like? So this is what we want to talk about today. So I want to give you three basic things. You may have some notes if they got passed out, some little... Uh, half sheets of paper that say uh, what our main points are. That's just to kind of help you follow along. If, it's, if I say something a little bit different, please don't stone me for that. I'm not lockstep to those notes. So, but they just kind of help you to know where we're coming from. And really what I want you guys to see first and foremost is the faith that takes God at His word is a faith that receives. It receives in humble repentance. James says this. He says, look, so then, my beloved brethren. In other words, Connecting verse 19 to verse 18, if you remember in verse 18, he speaks of, James speaks of, that God by his own will brought us forth or begot us by the word of truth. That that, that James says, and Peter agrees with him in this, that we've been born again, we've been begotten, we've been given new life through the preaching of God's word, through the declaration of God's word and the Holy Spirit applying that to our lives, that new life, salvation, comes that way. And so he says, so then, since this is true, so, since we've been begotten by God, since we are, as he calls us in verse 19, beloved brethren, he says, therefore, here's what our attitude needs to be. He says, Ever let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear. Now, this definitely has an application to everyday relationships and how we communicate with each other. But let's not miss the the first thing that James wants us to see about this. When he's talking about being swift to hear, he's talking about being swift to hear God's word. Being the kind of believer that is listening well when God is speaking, that expects that God wants to communicate. And this is bigger than just what happens right now on a Sunday morning. This is more than just trying to pay attention when the paid holy guy is preaching at you. This is about having a mindset that says, here here I am, Lord, speak. I'm yours. I want to hear from you. It means that when we crack open this book, we say, Lord, I I want to be quick to hear, swift to hear, slow to speak. But there's also something else here. When he talks about wrath in verses 19 and 20, obviously James is clear he's referring to the wrath of man. It's this idea of an anger or a righteous anger indignation. It's the, this idea that you see something that's wrong with the world or wrong with a person and you say to yourself, that's, that's wrong, it's bad, and it makes me angry. 
And James is saying, I want you to be slow to that kind of anger. And apparently what was going on in this day, that there were, these, there were a group of Jewish believers. James was written mostly to, to Jews, probably at a time when there was very few Gentiles who had already uh, started following Jesus. So he's writing to these Jewish believers who are following Jesus. And apparently these guys had a tendency to get very angry at other people's sins to be quick to kind of point out other people's sins. Hey, that's wrong. You can't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. And James is, in a sense, saying, look, you need to be slow to that. You need to recognize that, that, uh, that in doing so, in just pointing out people's sins, and just having anger towards people's sins, he says in verse 20, you are not producing the righteousness of God. It's not changing people. Now, let's make sure we understand what we mean by the righteousness of God, that we're, when we talk about the righteousness of God, we're talking about what it means to be doing the right thing the way God sees it. It means, it means, it means our lives, our, our, our person, who we are, being acceptable to God. Now, it's interesting because Paul later on will write to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 10. And he'll talk about the Jews. He'll talk about Israel as a nation. And, and again, of course, in Romans 10, he's talking about those who didn't yet know Jesus. But it's interesting what he says. Listen to this. In Romans chapter 10, verses 2 to 4, Paul writes, I, For I bear Israel witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, notice, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, the ones that hated Paul the most were the unconverted Jews. Paul himself, of course, was a Jew who had a radical conversion experience. He came to know Christ on the road to Damascus. And his heart, even though Jesus had said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, his heart was still for Israel. He loved his nation. He loved his people. He wanted to see his people see Jesus, embrace Jesus as the Messiah, as God's chosen king. And, and, he, and he's being here incredibly, not just polite, but uh, endearing. He's basically saying, listen, the, I, I bear them witness. They are zealous for God. They hate what is evil. They love what is good. And that's a good thing, but it's not according to knowledge. Their zeal is not according to knowledge. They're angry at us Jesus followers. And it's interesting because when you think about Paul writing this, you get this, this sense of this is kind of what might have been happening with those during James's day, that they were thinking people need to get right with God and they're not doing what God wants them to do. And so that makes us angry and we're going to point at them and we're going to thump our finger in their chest and we're going to guilt them into being right with God. And James is saying it doesn't work. You're trying to produce the righteousness of God that can only be produced by a work of God's Spirit, can only be given to us as a gift because of Jesus. Now, it's interesting, too, because thinking about this in an applicational sense, isn't often our anger most provoked when somebody exposes our lack of righteousness? When we think we're really right about something, but really we're, we're, what's being exposed is that we're not right at all. So I had this experience yesterday. You guys have heard of Bob the Builder? Yesterday I was Beelzebub the Builder. 
as I was trying to put together some Ikea shelves. It should be easy. And I couldn't get this thing to fit, and I was getting so frustrated. I mean, so frustrated. And Sarah was coming in and saying, well, try this, try this. I'm like, hey, hey, you don't understand. I've tried everything. Don't you think I've been careful with this? And I was getting more and more angry. And finally, I just said, you call Ikea and you figure it out. And I was just so, ah, because I was sure I was right. I was sure I'd done everything according to the book. And guess what happens? Sarah, as she's on the phone waiting for Ikea, listening to really horrible music for about 20 minutes, <laughs> she sees the instructions. She goes, oh, man, that piece of wood is actually in the wrong place. One little, one little thing, these things were almost identical, except for one had one hole slightly over than the other, and that was where I got it wrong. Just one little thing. And so she, she said, babe, I think I know what's wrong. And she was right. The second bookshelf only took me 40 minutes to put together. first one took me three hours. Now the thing was, I was angry. I was so frustrated because I felt like she's saying I'm not doing this right. I know I'm doing this right. It's her that's not doing it right. It's you that doesn't know. You're not building the shelves. I'm building the shelves. And this is what we do. We try to establish our righteousness in relationships. And we do it to God. We try to establish our righteousness before God. Look at me, God. I'm doing what's right. And we're angry when he says it's not good enough. When really what he's trying to get us to do is stop trying to establish our own righteousness and receive the free gift of righteousness that's been given to us in Christ. So when I talk about receiving in humble repentance, that faith is about receiving God's word in humble repentance, it's knowing we cannot produce the righteousness of God ourselves. This is what gets us in the trouble time and time again, that we, we try to do the right thing, but we try to do the right thing in our own strength, but for the wrong reason. I'm going to do the right thing, and then God's going to accept me. I'm going to do the right thing, and then, then God's, going to, God's going to give me some good thing. He's going to owe me something. Those are the wrong reasons. And then it doesn't work out, and what happens? We get frustrated. We get angry because we're sure we're right. But that never produces the kind of righteousness that God's given us as a free gift uh, that, that, and that God is producing in us by His Holy Spirit. Now, he goes on to say in verse 21, he says, Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now, interesting, because when he says filthiness, filthiness is, is kind of a, a, a word that's describing the act, the sinful act, how, how bad the sinful act is. Whereas when he says overflow of wickedness, in a sense it's kind of trying to describe the origin. So in a sense he's saying the same thing, but he's like saying, uh, lay us, let aside or lay aside or cast away or let go of, uh, not just the evil act, but where that act came from, where it originated. Well, where does sin originate? Our own hearts, doesn't it? So it's an idea of, of casting yourself aside, probably equal to more what Jesus was saying when you deny yourself. And he's saying, I want you to lay that aside. And this is, again, when we're talking about a faith that receives the word in humble repentance, we're talking about letting go of sinful behavior. You might have heard the saying that uh, uh, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And there's truth to that simple little saying. There's this reality that, that, that this book is meant to expose our need for repentance. It's meant to lead us to a place where we turn back to God. We turn away from our sinful behavior and we turn back to God. 
It's also, though, it's also though what God's going to do to bring us to repentance. Look at what the scripture says. Paul preaches in Acts 17, and he says, Now God commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, are we included in all men? Yes. Is Norwich, UK included in everywhere? Yes. Guess what that means? We all need to repent. We all need to turn back to God. We all need to turn away from that sinful behavior. We need to let it go and say, I don't want that as much as I want him. We all need to do that. And so he's saying this is what needs to happen. And, and, and it's interesting because sometimes we think, yeah, I know I should want that, but I'm not too sure. But if we would get into God's word, God would do work in us to want that. Look what the scripture says in Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet says this, is not my word, God says to Jeremiah the prophet, I should say, is not my word like a fire purges, says the Lord, and like a hammer that, the rock, that breaks the rock in pieces? Now, you might be here today, you might go, okay, yeah, I know I should read the Bible, but I just don't, okay? I'm not one of those good Christians, all right? Quit making me feel bad. Don't you realize, listen, don't you realize that if you're in that place of hard-heartedness, you know what's going to break your heart? God's Word. God will take His Word by His Spirit, and He is able to break down our hardness of heart if we just expose ourselves to it. If we just say, okay, God, here I go. So receiving a, a faith that takes God as his word receives in humble repentance, which means we know we can't produce the righteousness of God on our own. It means we let go of sinful behavior. It also, listen, it means we realize our complete and utter dependence because Paul says, or James says this in James 20, uh, 121, he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Meekness. Meekness has to do with gentleness. It has to do with humility. It has to do with submission. It has to do with the recognition that you have put yourself under the control of another. That's meekness. And James is saying, listen, this is what has to happen. You have to recognize that you can't control yourself. You have to realize that you cannot save yourself. And that God, what he's doing in giving us his word and calling us to obedience is he's bringing in us, he's working in us salvation. That's what he's doing. Interesting, it says implanted word. We get, there's two pictures from that word implanted. One is this idea of sowing seed. You know, Jesus talked about the parable of the sower. You guys remember that? That he's the sower. The seed it's sown is the word of God. And it goes into someone's heart. And in some hearts, it just, their hearts are hard. The enemy snatches away other hearts. You guys know the parable, right? Other hearts, uh, uh, they're on stony grounds. So they kind of bear a little bit of root. Sun comes up. They, they, they burn away. They don't last. And others are, are the, the ground is full of weeds. And so the, the plant does grow, but it gets choked out. But there's good soil. And that good soil, when the seed hits, it grows and it bears fruits. So there's that picture, this idea of implanted, that God's wanting to put the word in our heart with the intention of it bearing fruit, it causing, bringing results that he intends. But it's also this idea of being engrafted. Sometimes what they would do uh, when they would find, uh, in biblical times in the area of Palestine, in the areas where they would actually grow grapes, they would find wild grape bushes. 
and, and they were very hardy. So the, the, the stock was hardy in that they were drought resistant and, and pest resistant. Uh, they had survived, you know, and, 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 and got stronger over the years. But the grapes they produced were rubbish. They were really just kind of bitter and not very nice. And so sometimes what they would try to do is a way to kind of breed was they would kind of cut off those branches and they would graft in quality grape branches to that wild vine. And what would happen is that would produce fruit that was actually worth harvesting. It's that idea as well. Now, now, these are just metaphors. No metaphors are perfect. But the point is, is that Jesus wants us to realize, James wants us to realize that we're called to receive the word in a hum- humble repentance. We've got to recognize, I'm not going to produce my own righteousness. I need God to do that. I need to let go of sinful, sinful behavior. I, I have to be humble enough to know that I need this book to show me what's sinful and to help me to have a soft enough heart to turn away. And I need to recognize my complete and utter dependence upon God to do this work in me. The psalmist says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. That's me and you. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. God says to his people Israel in Isaiah 66, But on this one I will look, notice, on him who is poor and contrite of spirits and trembles, who trembles at my word. Let me ask you a very serious question. When's the last time you read this book and actually got a bit of shiver down your spine? Where you realize the implications of that are huge, serious, sobering. God says, that's the guy I got my eye on. That's the person I'm looking to. The one who's receiving with meekness. Guys, because God has chosen to reveal himself through the written word, we need, if we're going to be worshipers of God, to have the right attitude towards the written word. We need to be willing to listen to it. We need to be willing to receive it. We need to know that we're dependent upon it. This is where God wants us to be. That humility of receiving and humble repentance. So that's the first thing, receiving humble repentance. Here's the second thing that faith that takes God at his word looks like. Notice, listen, it's practices, it practices to get understanding. Not to gain something from God, but to get it, not to, uh, or gain something from God or earn something from God, but to get understanding. Look what it says. Verse 22, James says, don't just listen though, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The first thing he talks about is what it looks like not to do. If you don't practice what God says, if you don't do what God says, you know what you're doing? You know what you're accomplishing? Self-deception. So if you come here on a Sunday morning or you go to home group on a Wednesday night or you come to a Sunday night service or you listen to something online and you hear what God says and you think, that was nice, that was good, that was interesting, I feel stimulated by that, and you don't put it into practice, you know what you're doing? Deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're telling yourself, it's enough if I just kind of listen to what God says. I actually don't have to obey. Do you remember what Jesus said to people like that? Jesus said, I think it's in Luke chapter 6 where he says, why do you call me or say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Jesus, you're Lord, you're Master. I'll see you later. I've got things I want to do. Does that make any sense? 
We deceive ourselves. Interesting, too, that James doesn't say, hey, be sure you do the word. He says, be doers of the word. He says, here's, your, here's part of your identifying characteristic is that you're those who want to practice what God says. I'm going to put this into practice. I want to live by this, God. Again, you're not earning anything by this. You're just trying to keep yourself from deception. You're just trying to make sure that you're not deceiving yourself into thinking, I can do what I want and still call Jesus Lord. That's why Jesus says in, in, in Luke's gospel when they, a woman came up and praised him and said, oh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus says, you know, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what Jesus said. You hear what I'm saying, but you actually want to do what I say. Now also, notice what he says in verse 23 and 24. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. Now, James is using uh, an absurd analogy. In other words, he's saying nobody actually does this, right? So all of us look in the mirror every day. Sometimes for us it's a, it's a, a jest of futility, but we still do it. We look in the mirror every day. And none of us here, I guarantee, none of us here would look in the mirror and see something questionable floating from our nose and do nothing about it. I know I'm being gross on purpose because if I thought, you know, food on your face, that's too easy. But if you, seriously, if you look in the mirror and you had something like that, that disgusting, you'd be, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't go outside. And you'd go and find a Kleenex and take care of it. That's what you do. No one would go, huh, I think that looks good. I'm going to go on my way. No one would do that. Nobody would do that. And this is what James is trying to say. Now, when he's talking about a mirror, the Bible speaks of God's law as a mirror. That we look at it and it reflects back to us what we are like. I don't know if you've realized that I think when we're younger, we, we, it's harder for us to see this. But as you get older like I am, you realize how the image of yourself, how you think you look, is totally different than how you actually look. Do you know what I'm saying? I seriously, I, I, I thought about this a, a couple weeks ago. I had some kind of stupid dream. It didn't mean anything, but I, I woke up realizing in my dream, I had hair. <laughs> no, seriously, I wasn't dreaming that I had hair. I just kind of, in my dream, it's like my subconscious assumed I still had hair. I haven't had hair in 20 years. But it's still, I still kind of assumed that. It's a funny thing. Sometimes, I, especially after I work out, I feel that, that, that pump, I'm feeling pretty healthy. I think, man, I... I yeah, I'm feeling really good. Then I look in the mirror. Oh, maybe not so good. <laughs> it's funny how we can have this image of ourselves that's completely wrong, but a mirror exposes what we're really like. And this is what God's Word is like. In fact, listen, this is the actual function of the law. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, now, if we, now we know, he says, that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, notice, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, I want you to understand something. 
Paul, or James just said, didn't he? James had just said, listen, you need to be a listener of God's word, but you have to also be a doer. Don't deceive yourself in being a doer. But here's what happens. When we do what God says, when we're a doer of the word, guess what? It still doesn't make us righteous. In fact, it's in doing God's word that we recognize how unrighteous we actually are. One of the most frustrating things for me as a Jesus follower, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, is I hate when people say, oh, no, you're a good guy. You deserve this thing. You do really well at that thing. and No, you're really a good person. I know they're trying to be encouraging, but you know what the truth is? The more I do what God says, the more I recognize how far I fall short of doing what God says. Because the more I actually say, okay, this is what God wants me to do, and I go that way, the more I'm exposed, I actually don't want to do what God says. Or even when I do want to do it, I'm incapable of doing what God says. Or when I, I want to do it, and God gives me the power to do it, it's still not as much as, as I should have done, or could do, or I give up after a while, because it's hard to do what God says. And you know what happens when I do God's word? It's a mirror to me that shows me how desperate I am for my Savior. Absolutely desperate for Him. And it makes me realize how glorious and great my salvation is. How amazing it is that God would say to me, you are my beloved son because you're in my beloved son. This is what happens when we do the Word of God. You don't do the Word of God. Do you know what ends up happening? You think it's kind of optional to obey. You know what ends up happening? You view your salvation of very little value. That's a nice idea. I don't want to really go to hell, and you know, just, everyone's going to die, so just in case, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that works. You know what happens? You value your salvation little. But when you do the Word of God, it exposes how much you need the, the, the Word of God incarnated. How much you need Jesus. And you realize, oh Lord, I do need you and you're so good that not only do I have you, but you have me. We get in the understanding of the value of our salvation as we do what God's word says. If not, if we don't practice, we're defeating the very purpose of the law. God gave us the law so we'd know, wow, that's why I need a savior. That's why I'm so desperate for a Savior. Think about this. Those of you who are, are, are convinced in of, of yourself you're a very moral person, that you, you're basically a good person. If you think you're basically a good person, by what standard of goodness? Because the reality is, even in our own standards of goodness, even when we ignore God's standard and we live by our own standard of goodness, you know what we do every single time? We do less than even our own standard. What does that say about our own nature? That we know it's right to love our spouse, but we don't. I'm not even talking about laying down your life as Christ laid down the life for for his church. I'm not talking about even the biblical standard. I'm just talking about the worldly standard. We don't really love our spouses as we should. We don't really love children as we should. We don't really work hard. Those of you who are employed, you're employed, you get a salary for certain work. Be honest, you might think, I'm a good employee. If you were watched and with all that you spend your time doing, what they pay you to do, do you actually spend all your time doing it? Or do you waste time? Do you goof off? Do you take little things from the office because, ah, they're not that valuable, nobody really cares? You steal from your own company. 
You see, even if you don't look at God's standard, which is even way higher than our standard, we still fall short of our own standards. What does that say about us? It says we need someone to save us. That's what it says. This is what happens when we do the word of God. When we say, God, I want to put into to practice the things you say, I, you recognize, man, I really do need a savior. I really need God to change me. And you rejoice in the fact that he does. Now listen. Not only that, but look what he says. There's something else. It's not just about exposing us that the, the law of God does. It's not just about keeping us from deception that the law of God does or what happens when we actually practice or are doers of the word. But there's a blessing involved. Look at verse 25. James says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hero but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I want you to think about something. We don't equate law with liberty, do we? I mean, even in our theology, we don't equate law with liberty. Part of the problem is, in in Western culture, we have this mindset that thinks, we have this idea of freedom, this idea of liberty, is liberty is casting off all restraint. It's doing whatever whim you want to do. Imagine you're a fish, and you decide, I want to live out of water. I want to be free from this cage of ocean. And so you, 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 you practice and you swim and you get as much strength as you can and then you whoosh, out the surface on the land, what happens? You're going to die. Because you weren't designed to live with that freedom. You were designed to live in a certain environment. The law of God says, here's the environment I've designed you to live in, and when we refuse to live in it, all it does is bring forth death. That's why the law is liberating. But not only that, listen. He says you're going to be blessed. Let's talk really quick. Let's get some practical stuff. What are some of the ways that God blesses us when we walk in obedience, when we actually are doers of the word? First thing is this, we grow in that liberty. Jesus said, listen, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. One of the most profound statements in all of the world ever. You shall know the truth, the truth will make you free. It's it's one of my favorite truths, statements. Because you know what Jesus is saying about the truth there? He's saying the truth is definable, it's knowable, you can recognize it. He's also saying it's liberating. It's liberating. What happens when we begin to walk in the things that God has for us, not trying to earn our righteousness that we've already been given, but as we walk with God, what ends up happening is we grow in that freedom. We grow in our understanding of what it means to be free. Jesus says it's going to make you free the more you understand the truth. We also grow in wisdom. Jesus says this in John chapter 7. says, Jesus answered and said to them, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Notice, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning my doc- or concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, when people want to do what God says, they're going to do what God says, they're going to try to live by the commandments of God, and they're going to realize that my doctrine, Jesus' doctrine, which was believe in me, that was Jesus' doctrine, right? Put your faith in the Christ you're going to see that it's true. You're going to recognize it as true. It'll be self-evident. 
We grow in wisdom. That's what I was just talking about there. We live uh, according to the law of God. But also listen to this. I love the way the New Living Translation paraphrases Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey His commands will grow in wisdom. Praise Him forever. Do you know what I've found in my walk with God? I have found that when I obey God from the heart, when I say, God, I want to do what you say, and I trust you for the strength to do it, and I actually fall through, you know what happens every single time? I go, yes, that's the best way to do it. Every single time. I cannot say there's ever been a time when, I haven't, when I've obeyed God and I thought, well, that's stupid. That didn't work at all. Now, that doesn't mean that every time I've obeyed God, it's had the results that I've wanted it to have. That is, that's not what I'm saying. But as I've obeyed God, experienced what He wanted me to experience through that obedience, I've come to understand, man, God, you know what you're doing. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is living your life skillfully. And there's great wisdom in saying, God, I fear you. Your opinion is better than anybody else's. How do you want me to live this life? So much of the counseling that I do is basically trying to encourage people to stop doing something that goes against what God says. Look, you're a follower of Jesus. Yes, I am. Well, then let's do what he says and see if this changes the way your life goes. Novel idea. There's wisdom in it. Not only that, listen, we grow in fruitfulness. Again, New Living Translation paraphrases Joshua 1.8 beautifully. It says, study this book of instruction continually. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, meditate, uh, uh, meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Do you realize that there's something beneficial to doing things, even practical things, the way God says? So much of my life changed because someone encouraged me as a young Christian to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And I liked it. They're pithy little sayings. They're very practical. As I began to read those things, I began to recognize this is, this is good stuff. And I began to do some of that good stuff. And my life began to really change. And it's amazing how many people have, had come, have come to me over the years and said, man, you have so much wisdom. I think you have a gift of wisdom. I think, no, no, no. I'm just trying to do what God says. I'd be wise if I did it more so. It's amazing what happens when you just do the things that God says to do. If you, have, if you haven't gotten that habit of reading a chapter of Proverbs every day, I encourage you to do it and see, see what happens when you actually do what it says. See what happens to your finances. See what happens, listen, see what happens to your relationship with God and with others. Men, see what happens in your fight against lust. Not that women don't lust as well, but men, we seem to be more prone to it for some reason. What happens? Look at Proverbs. See the practical aspects and see if, you don't, if your life doesn't change. There's a blessing, a, a fruitfulness that comes when we say, okay, God, I want to do what you say is best. If we believe God is good, if we really believe that, then we should believe what he commands us to do is for our good. So faith that takes God at his word, receives in humble repentance, practices to get that kind of practical understanding. But also, this is really important. It seeks to benefit the needy. One of the other problems that we have in our Western culture is everything is about us. 
we, we think of our, us in the singular, me. It's all about me. What do I need? But one of the things that we saw, we talked about this a little bit uh, a few weeks back when we talked about growing in our love for God. We talked about that the things that God commands us, the, the, the love he commands, the exclusive love he commands us to have toward him is intended to have a benefit for people. James is saying a similar thing. Look what he says in verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, now this is religious in a good sense. You might think spiritual or committed. If anyone uh, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Let the strength of that word sink in. Useless. Good for nothing. James is saying, talk without walk is useless. It doesn't help you or anybody else. When Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, he quotes Isaiah and he says to them, these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You're not helping yourself and you're definitely not helping anybody else if you're, all you're doing is giving God, giving the gospel, giving his word, lip service. Hey, I, I, I'm preaching to myself here. Instead, look what he says. Here's, here's the kind of spirituality. Here's the, here's the fruit that God's looking for. Here's what he wants to produce as we follow him. Notice, listen, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and there's no and in the original language. So it would just say, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The idea is, if you want to be unspotted from the world, look after those who can't look after themselves. Remember, when, when James wrote this, there wasn't a welfare system. When James wrote this, women were not allowed to be gainfully employed. There's only one way a woman could make money. Do you know what it was? The world's oldest profession. Degrading and horrible. Therefore, children as well, unless there was a male relative who would take them in. If a, if a woman lost her husband and had children, they were destitute. They had no hope and James says, listen, God calls you to obey. God calls you to, to, to do what he says because these people need to know who he is. He is a father who cares. As the psalmist says, listen, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. And God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free. He gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God calls us to pursue people who are isolated, who are marginalized, who are in a place where they can't help themselves. He calls us to do that. Now, it's good that we try to do this with the super. One of the really encouraging things about what's going on with the soup run is 
when God put that on Adam's heart a couple years ago that we really needed to not just talk about this but do something, which was great. Uh, started with very few people and there's, there's more and more people coming all the time. We're actually splitting into a couple teams because we have so many people, which is great. God's put it on uh, uh, Kelly's heart and Liz Hickey's heart to, to try to do more even when they go out there, not just kind of giving the soup but make sure that there's can we offer clothing? Can we do more? The Salvation Army actually wants to work with us and give us a, a place that we can use once a month to do pastoral care. Those people, this is all great news. Praise God, we want to grow in this. But we want to grow in this so we, not so we can pat ourselves on the back. Look at us, we, we have pure and undefiled religion. But because we want people to know the Father of the fatherless. And guys, we need to do that here. We need to, even in their midst, we need to be the kind of people that think about other people's needs. And I know that's easier said than done. I, I get that. It's hard to know sometimes when we should do this and when we shouldn't, but we need to be thinking that way. Andy and Claire Feather are praying about uh, a ministry to help people get their houses sorted out. It's amazing. He, he works uh, with young offenders, and it's amazing. Sometimes he goes into people's houses, and there's a, huge needs Physically, logistically, their houses are a disaster. You'd be surprised how many landlords are some lords. See, here's the point. The, the point is, if the faith that takes God at His word, the faith that wants to do what God says, it knows, listen, it knows, it's a faith that understands there's no way I'm going to be right with God except by work that He's done, so I'm going to turn to Him and receive with meekness His implanted word. It knows that, listen, I'm not going to get what God's trying to say unless I actually try to put it into practice. I'm not going to be able to learn anything unless I'm willing to do what God's Word says. And it recognizes there are people out there that God cares about, and He has ordained that they are reached through our actions. Actions. 